Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and y'all listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Is, is this? Uh, it, 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 you're, you're right, Judd Apatow. It has all worked out. Like we're we're just doing this for fun, not yes. for you know, not you guys, for anything else. Who who are the advertisers? Who are the advertisers? I mean, we like to just you know, we like to hold off on that until. I'd like to know who I'm supporting. <laughs> what product? Me undie? No. Um, uh, yeah, we. Well, I'll tell you the the uh, the sponsors we are shooting for. Yes. Uh, Jamba Juice. Yes. Uh, constantly trying to get the Jamba. Okay. Um, we we desperately try to throw them in almost every podcast because if we get sponsored by Jamba yes. Juice and I can get free razzmatazzes, yes. I'm going to be thrilled. So if I just keep talking about how much I like Jamba Juice, <laughs> I can change your fortunes? <laughs> well, and you can, I'm sure. You can. And it's, a del- it's a delicious series of juices. <laughs> I'm sure that was their goal. Yeah, yeah. That, and I want to ask you about that because you are definitely one of the f- few people in this town where and i hope you realize this where if you decided today like you know what that actor that actress that that comedian you could change their lives that juice business overnight that that juice business whatever yes. i can change people's fortunes yeah is that weird? And sending, uh, send them spinning off into some hell they never thought about. <laughs> I can change their lives so suddenly. They've they thought get... about it. I think everyone's thought about the potential hell yeah. that comes with the blessing and the curse of being super successful, yeah? Like, just on a dime, I can make it so you can't walk outside without every stranger asking for a selfie. For the rest of your life. Yeah. For literally the rest of your life. Yeah. And then right now, Amy Schumer is listening to this going, that son of a bitch. (laughs) Has that happened to you the more you started to put yourself, um, you know, once stand-up became a, a, a priority again and you were just... You know, and, yeah. and I mean, you've always been, um, uh, you know, on shows and whatnot to promote movies mm-hmm. and shows. But I mean, just even more exposure now. Do you find yourself getting stopped more? And just the bugged? lack of interest in me is wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it's because I'm You're one, like a Muppet performer. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> exactly. nobody knows who Elmo is. Yeah, I, I am. I am Frank Oz. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Frank the, uh, I remember I went to see a Clippers game with mm-hmm. Gary Shandling. You know, decades ago, yeah. and we were walking in, and you know, like, just a couple of people were like, "Hey, Gary Shandling, you're funny, man." Yeah. And Gary turned to me and said, "I have the perfect level of fame. Almost nobody walks up to me, but when they do, they are thrilled." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have something similar, which is almost no one walks up to me, and when they do, they're not even that interested. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Freaks and Geeks was cool, I guess. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with how much cool shit you've done that they don't even know where to start. Well, people... I feel like that's a legitimate... I always joke that people always say hello to me on the move. Like, people literally don't think it's worth stopping, but as they walk by, I'll just hear, like your shit! <laughs> Which, by the way, hey, perfect. Yeah. Yes. That, that is, that perfect. Is, you're not complaining perfect. about that, because uh, yeah, I, I, feel, I, I feel, especially in this town, there's uh, a level of obsession over stardom and fame, where some people, if they see someone else take a selfie with you, yes. they're like, who's that dude? 
Yes, and I, I want to get what I'll figure out who it is later. Yeah, now I'm just going to throw their <laughs> face on the, you know, uh, uh, who's this face.com. Yes. Yeah. And and by the way, if that's not a thing, that's a billion dollar trademark idea. Market. Somebody can go trademark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then do that because I get that where someone comes up, like one person in a million will recognize yes. me from comedy and then they'll come up and they'll take a selfie with me. Then half the block thinks I'm Dinklage. Yes. And then <laughs> so they just come up like, oh, well, there's got to be one of the famous ones. <laughs> There's like two of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Will you just stick with it? Like I'm Dinklage. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I now I do because I'm trying to ruin Dinklage's yes. career. Yes. So from I, the inside. Yes. So <laughs> I will go full Trump. No, yes. no, I yeah. no, I, no, yeah. absolutely not. But uh, yeah, like I'm trying to ruin Dinklage's career because I I, I figure I'm the next one up. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> so. I'm in. I'm in. There, there would be a, a hole there for you to fill. Absolutely. There was a time when we went to a uh, Seahawks game uh, when we were up in Seattle doing shows. And a friend of uh, ours uh, was like, hey, I'm running this player's uh, yes. suite. You guys can come in during halftime, just hang yes. out. And then we're hanging out. And then at one point, uh, one of the guys who ran the suite just goes, no fucking way. We men. We men. <laughs> and I look over at Brad and he just looks at me and just goes and nods his head like, <laughs> like we're fine. Like, go with it. Like, and then, and then Brad goes, day. hey. <laughs> and he goes, guys, let's take pictures. And then he was like, dude. And then the guy who uh, was running the suite goes, all right, guys, uh, get out of here. And the guy goes, no fucking way. He goes, you think I'm kicking Wee Man out of my suite? <laughs> and I was like, and Wee Man's buddy. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes I'll let that go. Exactly. Do you exactly. ever get stopped and, uh, and people say, like, I like your shit, but it's for, because, again, there's just, I mean, I don't even know if you uh, sometimes just forget how much stuff you've done, but like, does somebody ever go, man, Celtic pride? Like, do they just deep cuts like that? Deep cuts. Uh, yeah, I get heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Heavyweights is the one that people remember. By the way, that is like, I mean, I was a true fat kid. So that film, like, yeah, hey, how did, how did one you of Paul Feig's best, uh, best acting, acting roles. Works. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, how did I perceive it? I loved it. Yeah. Because it was so, um, A, you know, it was just like, you know, you see like a movie made for you. You know, you're just mm-hmm. like, I would like, I, and then also, you know, all the right fat kid elements too, like yeah. the snacks and the bunks. Yeah. Like, I was just like, that's genius. I got to do that. <laughs> you know, Mom, we need a snack bunk, you know? <laughs> uh, but also just the way, uh, there's just a lot of, I mean, and you're just like the uh, the best at this, like the right amount of heart and the right amount of funny and like a character, that stiller character to me is like one of the greatest movie characters of all time. Oh my God, he was so funny when we did it. And I guess that movie in a way was the beginning of, other work that we all did with freaks and geeks of underdog kids, yeah, yeah, uh, and trying to find a way to do something funny, but ultimately just very sympathetic to these kids. And when it came out, we got such terrible reviews. Did it really? Because I think on some level, people thought you must be making fun of that, right? Just because just on the surface, a movie called Heavyweights starring fat kids, you're like, oh god, yes. Like I- if, if you haven't seen it. It, it, it's just gonna be like it's just gonna be nonstop fat jokes, and there's gonna be some sort of teeter totter thing at one point. Like yes. you, you just like have that all in your head, and then you actually watch the movie. You're like, oh no, you were very sympathetic, a lot, a lot of heart, and I think that's a trend uh, that you like to put in the vast majority of your uh, of, of of your project. Yeah, where does that come from? The did you? I mean, when you first started, even started filmmaking, or just like the people you looked up to, were you just like, oh cool, the stuff I like has that uh, f- proper balance. It's funny, I I, uh, I must have had things like that that I just appreciated when I was a kid. Yeah. But, you know, I did, you know, my, my stand-up special uh, Which for is Netflix, coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. December 12th. Yes. And one of the things I do in it is I read a letter, I do a poem 
that I wrote when I was 14 about my parents' divorce. Okay. And when did they it, split? Uh, like between eighth and ninth grade. I, so I wrote this poem about it. And in the poem, I'm basically saying, like, life is terrible, but maybe all this suffering will lead to me writing better jokes. But at 14, oh my God. I had some awareness of That's pain foresight. leads to jokes. Probably because I always knew Richard Pryor's story. Like, the worse it is. Yeah. The, like when the, you're raised in a whorehouse in Peoria and you yes. light yourself on fire, holy shit, you're going to be hilarious. Yeah. And like Seinfeld was talking about that, uh, you know, I worked on his special. Yeah, yeah the uh, most recent one, yeah. About like, this is, uh, you know, this is what I had to work with. And I used to say that as a kid. When I first did stand-up, I used to do a similar joke where I said, you know, if I, if I was, sometimes I wish I was raised in a whorehouse because then I would be funnier right now. <laughs> I used to say it when I was bombing. And, uh, and, on some level, I must have had sympathy for people I thought were struggling. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, that might be, you know, the kid in Fast Times at Ridgemont High who worked at the movie theater. Yeah, and you remember? Yeah, and and, and he had the friend who sold uh, concert tickets, yeah. the scalper. Yeah, and yeah. I would go, I relate to that kid, the little guy who's having a, a problem. And in a way, the movies that we made and a lot of the TV was about that guy. Was his name Rat? Ratner? <laughs> yeah, he might have been. I don't think it was Brett Ratner. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, boy. But I always liked those stories, and even Stripes, which mm-hmm. was two idiots whose lives were going terribly. Bill Murray's driving a cab. Harold yeah. Ramis is like teaching uh, uh, um, uh, you know, English as a second language, and they join the army because their lives just suck. Mm-hmm. I always felt like, oh, yeah, I'm like one of these suffering, wise-ass geeks. Yeah. And... And that made me want to want to basically make the supporting actor or actress the lead. Wow! In a way, it's as simple as that. Like whoever used to play the friend. <clears throat> yeah. Seth Rogen used to be like the friend. Yeah. Like, well, what if the friend? What if what if John Candy's the lead? I used to love like John yeah. Candy is yes. the lead. Uncle Buck. Yes. Things like that. Yeah, and even you know, in like a freaking uh, freaking Sarah Marshall, that mm. like in you would almost want that story to be told from the perspective of. Maybe like either the Sarah Marshall character yes. or the or, even or Jack the, McBrayer. Yeah, absolutely, Jack McBrayer. Because oh virgins, virgins in Hawaii, which I think I rented two nights ago. Uh, very, very funny. But yeah, it's like that other guy that the because uh, I know uh, Sarah Silverman always talked about how she's always cast as like the snarky friend or whatever. Yes. And it's like you're taking that character that I, I feel like a lot more people can relate to and bring we, it. To well, the we all relate to. The snarky friend, because if you take a moment to go, why is the friend snarky? Mm-hmm. They're always underneath it, very sensitive and sweet, yeah. and the edgy jokes are a cover for something. And if you if you have enough time, like in Trainwreck, because yeah. Amy Schumer, of course, is like the snarky friend. You go, oh, right. there's a whole rainbow of stuff going on that's fascinating that makes you have this uh, defense mechanism in life that makes you funny and tough and. And that's always what I find interesting is you know what's beneath the, the attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much of the of your because uh, my folks split when I was nine and I feel like that is a I didn't write myself a poem but uh, I definitely <laughs> I wish I did. He uh, uh, I he just, uh, I cut himself a pop tart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I double fisted pop tarts and dipped them in cool. Whip. And that also was just as effective. Uh, but like, did you find? I mean, because not a lot of kids at my age were going through that, so it was was kind of this like unique thing, and so there was like a, I had a different perspective, and and if I would make jokes, 
Like I made jokes pretty early on, even like ten and eleven, just about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and people were like really thrown off by it. even parents. I remember being at like friends' parents' houses, <clears throat> and I said some joke about my dad not being here or something like that. And it was like to me, it was funny, and it was also like how I was already like dealing with it. Yes. And uh, and the parents were just so uncomfortable with it. Which made me kind of want to do it more because I was like, didn't really like their parents because they would give me shit for eating all their snacks. And, uh, <laughs> but so, like, was how much of that do you think directly, um, I don't know, just gave you a, a, a different way of looking at things? I think any pain you have as a kid yeah. tunes you into other people's pain. Yeah. So if you're suffering, you, your radar goes up. And you understand why other people are suffering, and you feel bad for them. Yeah, whatever their suffering is. Sure, you're 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 almost more akin to it. Just like, oh, that's why that kid's mean, and that's yes. why that kid's like like that like that uh, that kid's a bitch, and like like you, you get it. Like that <laughs> one cries a lot. Bitches, really? I call a lot of kids bitches. Uh, there was one in Ralph's the other day. He was sta- he he was staring at me. Yeah, uh, he was like he, he was, was like, reaching for a cereal on the top shelf and staring you down. Yeah, and yeah. like and then uh, he told his mom like, why does that kid? Get to have a beard. Yeah. It, it was, it was, but it does tune you into something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you know, I would assume that you see the world in a completely different way than most people. Yeah, about a foot and a half lower. <laughs> <laughs> so but just yeah. lower the camera a foot and a half, then you're like, wow, that's what Brad sees. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're doing this, uh, you know, we're kind of script with the Lucas brothers. Oh, okay. Right. And and they were, you know, talked a lot about how when they were kids. And they you know, grew up, you know, at times in dangerous places. Yeah, mm-hmm. that they were treated like unicorns. Yeah, and so in, in a way, twins, they were yeah. treated better because people were so happy to see them for some reason. Well, and in general, people are generally happy to see yeah. midgets. Like, yeah. you, like, like you're never upset. No. Like, yeah. like, like I know when you walked in and yeah. and, and, and you saw a Jew, you're yeah. like, okay, it's Hollywood. I've seen yeah. that a lot. But then, but then you see me, and you're like. Yes. Okay, yeah. it's gonna be a good time. Good morning. At- 8 a.m. is not that early. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. I wasn't. I was actually enraged. <laughs> I was the other uh, the other way. I was the only one. Like- that yeah. That see, and that's the other perspective yeah. that you bring. Most yeah. people happy when they see dwarves. Yes. You're like, I can get mad about this. <laughs> I like the idea of seeing you know like you know differences and people who feel other yeah and so like when paul feig you know brought me the script to freaks and geeks i mm-hmm. just thought oh my god no one ever talks about the nerds and the potheads right and i'm instantly attracted to well wow no that that's like a that's a a, a terrain that has never been dealt with yeah what does it feel like to be those guys and i think that when you know when you're young and in whatever way it is you feel like you took a beating mm-hmm. you you want to talk about how you survived it and who was nice to you and who wasn't nice to you and and what that uh the you know the experience of that growth yeah. was cuz for me what was different was all my friends parents were divorced oh by the end oh, of high wow. school no one survived wow and so one by one we helped each other through oh my god had a support and, group going and, and by the end of it we were all just wandering the streets with no one paying attention to us. Yeah. Like our parents back then in you know in the early 80s you know school would end you know there's no cell phones there's nothing. Yeah. You, you just wandered the streets till dinner time. Yeah. And you were on bicycles and dangerous and your folks just places. go you I hope you're home for dinner. They didn't yeah. even consider that there was a possibility of there being a problem. Right. And when your parents are divorced they also get busy with their own lives with 
Whatever yeah. they're doing. They're trying to set up their next life. Yes. They're, they're, they're dating. They're trying to make enough money. Now everyone's got to yeah. pay for other people. Yes. And, and right. so you're left to fend for yourself like dogs. Yeah. And we loved it. Yeah. I mean, sure. I remember, it's independence. I remember as a kid, me and my friends just going to a diner at like 14 at one in the morning. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we thought, this is so great. But we didn't realize, like, we've been abandoned. <laughs> we just thought, oh, my God, we're so adult right now. Yeah. We have money, and we're buying food in yeah. this restaurant, <laughs> right. and no one's kicking us out of here. Oh, uh, Yeah, there's there's so many times in high school where we, we, we were just like, it's 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. Yeah. What are we going to do? Denny's. And that's what, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. what we did. Dude, after yes. so many high school plays, that was like the thing. We would all go there or some sort of spot. Sure. And, and 24 hours. Like, yeah. and, and staying there late and just the, the idea of like breaking the rules. Is is there a... um Is this super early for you, by the way? Or do no, you, were you, up you were up early. at five. I was trying to just figure out like, is it the... Did the being a dad get you up early yes. first or yes. was it just your work? <laughs> Ruined my clock. My clock is destroyed. Because you're a comic at heart, right? I mean, like yes. that's that's what got you. I mean, and my so- creativity has been destroyed by parenting <laughs> in, in so many ways because my clock for creativity mm-hmm. is like it wants to start writing around nine or 10 at night and I have to go to sleep at 11. So I don't write at night, but my best work would be if I wrote from 10 till two in the morning. That's mm. when my brain Has it always relaxes, been like that? And it's all gone. That's, I mean, yeah. that's how I am. And I yeah. don't know if that's ever going to, and I'm like, and there are times when I'm just like, I need to be asleep right now. But like, I. You feel it happening. You get relaxed. I like something too about, I feel like everything else is shut down. And sure. it almost feels like I have no distractions. Yeah, the like phone No one can reach me. Yeah. yeah. And so that's messed me up completely and i never in a way i never recovered i never creatively recovered from like is what i would do i would i would work till two in the morning i would sleep till noon i'd watch like a season of the real world and then and, and i would i would procrastinate yeah. Yeah. all day i would just eat i'd go see a movie i would do anything but write and then at some point i would get tired and right when i got tired the part of my mm-hmm. brain that was a critic would just get too tired to tell me to shut the fuck up and whatever would come wow. would come. But like, if I'm fresh in the morning, the voice in my head that wants to tell me to shut the fuck up, you suck, <laughs> the critical voice is, is awake and ready to <laughs> shut me down. <laughs> so you're saying since the birth of your children, all yes. your work has suffered. I, I, has I, suffered. I, don't, I don't know if that's really positive. <laughs> no, for you. no. Uh, but that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's strange where you just kind of have to flip your internal clock that way yes. because... Kids don't care that you were out until two in the morning the night before. No, I, mean, I can't do it. I yeah. can't say, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to stay up and write and have four hours sleep. Right. You know, at some point you get older and you you, you don't recover the next day. Yeah. You, like mm-hmm. you could do it once and then you're dead for a few days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what 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 were the biggest things becoming a, a dad that you feel like your work did change for? The better, like, did you find yourself with just an even bigger, um, obviously, probably perspective of life and just seeing things, right? But did you find like an extra gauge of funny that you didn't know about because of it? Like, what did it truly do to the well? The work? In every stage of your kid's life, you remember how you were at that stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you're just having flashbacks. You know, my daughter's fifteen. So suddenly you just remember everything from when you were 15. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, it tunes you into every phase. Yeah. Uh, even when they're little, you, you, you go, 
yeah, I guess I was happy at six. I guess I was kind of cool. <laughs> this whole time you thought you were a depressed six-year-old? Yeah. I remember also there was like a Not moment when I, I realized like I'm smaller than everyone because I was a year ahead. What's that feeling uh, like, uh, Judd? Uh, I, I, you <laughs> to be smaller understand. than Let's everyone. Let's be quiet. Yeah, yeah, you, don't, you don't understand. Quiet, quiet, dwarf, quiet. <laughs> Tall person talking. <laughs> but I was littler because I was born in December. And my parents, like I should have been behind... A year. Oh, but so oh, that I would be the oldest. Yeah. But I was the youngest. But I didn't, you know, when you're a kid, no one tells you that. Oh, by no. the no. way, you're a year smaller than everyone. And then you just suck at sports. And your whole childhood is this moment where they pick teams uh, and you're pick last, which is this daily humiliation, right? Yeah, Every sure. day I'm going to brand you like a cow as an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> And by the way, everybody should be picked last at some point at yeah. recess because oh, wow. it's a it's a special fucking feeling. It's yeah. also a slow humiliation. It's like we'll take Bill, <laughs> and then you're waiting there. It's literally like a cow auction. You also yeah. you know you're gonna be last. <laughs> you know you're gonna be last because <laughs> when you're picked last, you also get a position that the bowl never comes way to you. way right field. Way right field. You're like in, in the, the way woods. right. Field. You're like near the woods. <laughs> you're yeah. In the woods. You know. Yeah. See if so, that old guy who lives next to the school yeah. has any yeah. more peanuts. It's so like. It's like basically the the only way you're gonna get the ball is if Reggie Jackson walks in off the street and goes, Plays a random "Hey kids, you mind if I play?" Yeah. Okay. Oh shit, the ball's coming to me today. Yeah, yeah. Reggie's also, playing. There were no lefties, so so if you got <laughs> oh, yeah. put in right field, oh, yeah. there was just no scenario the ball would go there. There was no kid who knew no how to hit it to right. Hitters. No, yeah. and so you could never prove that they had made a misjudgment about you. Yes, and it happened for me gym class every day, oh, really? lunchtime every day. Through sixth grade, yeah, you know, so it's seven solid years of you suck, and then on, <laughs> on some level, that became your definition with the girls mm-hmm. as you know, wimpier, yeah, and and that's when I got into comedy. Like in my head, I would watch TV, I would watch all the stand-ups on like the Mike Douglas show or or Merv Griffin or something, and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'm like, I'm like Jeff Altman. You know, I'm wow. like this. I'm like Jay Leno. I'm like one of these weird people who's pissed off on the sidelines, calling everyone an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, that's my crew. And I always say, what was interesting is no one was interested in comedy. Like when I was a kid, comedy was not popular. So, yeah. it, what was it regarded? I mean, it was no one gave a shit at all. Like my friends, like it wasn't even a thing that was discussed. So, so if I was seventies, yeah. So if I'm yeah. ten, it's 1977, and I'm watching it make me laugh or or some show. There was nobody. I could go to and go like, did you see Gallagher on Make Me Laugh? <laughs> like, like, nobody cared, but I always had this thought in my head, which is when I leave this school and I get into the real world, people will care. Mm-hmm. And if I really learn this, I will be in a position to get a job because I no one is trying to get this job. You saw it as an oh, open wow. industry where you're like, well, yes. no one's... Like no one's in this line. Yes, it was like everyone's this. in the pro baseball player line. Exactly. No one's in this line. No one even knows this is a line. Yeah. And I did as a little kid know I can survive doing this, and the fact that you don't care is going to be my advantage. That wow. is crazy that you had that uh, mindset. Also, back then yeah. there was not there was none of this. There was no podcast. Wow. Yeah, so you no one kind knew of comedy. you kind of did podcasting before, like yeah, b- because you and this was covered in your book. Where you sick in the head? Yeah, oh, unbelievable. By the way, holy shit! I mean, like, thank you. Yeah, every chapter, it was just like because another... you went out and you interviewed artists and actors and producers and yes. directors, like, and never with the thought of I'm going to publish them. You you just interviewed people. Yes. First of all, where did you get the thought, and how did you accomplish the goal? 
Well, this is how, what a nerd I was. Yeah. But even at that age, so this is around 83, 84, when I mm-hmm. was doing the interviews, I was such a fan of just like the Phil Donahue show. Dude, mm-hmm. me too. Just long interviews. There was a guy named Stanley Siegel in New York who had a late night show. He was the first guy to interview like, you know, punk rockers and, and just fringe people. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, I gotta talk to these people. How do I talk to these people? I, I, I loved it so much, I'm like, must get near them. And I thought, oh, this is a trick. Mm-hmm. The trick is, this is for a purpose, this radio station. But really, right. it was just so I could sit down with Jerry Seinfeld and go, how do you do it? <laughs> Tell me how you do it. How do I get in? How do I yeah. get in? Yeah. And yeah, it really was the original comedy podcast yeah, and uh, broadcasting and, uh, to an audience of one, and that's why, yeah, and, or no, like I wouldn't yeah. even let, I wouldn't even air it, and then you would just listen to it and just, I mean, study the game tape, yeah. I just, yes, because they, people said things that changed my whole perspective. Yeah. I, I mean, if you want to be a comedian and you're 15, 16 years old, and someone says, "Hey, by the way, it takes seven years to get good," yeah, and you set your clock to Invaluable. seven years, yeah. mm-hmm. suddenly you have patience. When you suck for two years. You don't even think anything's going wrong. You're right. like, I'm on my path. I'm, this, these are the suck years, and there was a lot of very simple advice. Uh, that's all in the in the book that all turned out to be exactly right. But now, because there's so many podcasts, I think kids see comedy as an industry they can get into, which is why there's a lot of good people in it. Mm-hmm. But back then, if I called a comic and said, do you want to do an interview? They said yes, because no one else was asking them. Yeah. No one was asking Jerry Seinfeld to do it, an interview in, in 1983. Because right. they just didn't have the awareness to think that they could get to him? Or where, would it air, yes. where would it air? Yeah. yeah. There was nowhere to there's even no put it. There's no long form. There's yeah, nothing. nothing. There was no space. I mean, he, he might have gone on the radio to promote a club gig with a, a morning DJ. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, there wasn't a place for him to speak seriously about what he does. Yeah, just didn't happen. When you when 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 you'd walk into the rooms, were, was there anyone that saw you and was like, "Oh, I thought you were going to be like a thirty-two year old writer." Everybody, from- everybody's yeah. deeply disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this huge, I this huge cassette player. Mm-hmm. I would bring like basically a boombox. <laughs> it made for the first run of interviews. It's just a giant boombox, and then I got a tape recorder from the AV Club. One of those like kind of mint green, like army green, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the sound was so bad. Then finally, I figured out how to buy a microphone for the last <laughs> run of them. But it was. I remember walking in. Uh, uh, you know, I interviewed Steve Allen. Wow. But I take out this giant, like, boombox. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do, breakdance, kid? Like, you throw out some cardboard? But literally, I have a picture of it. It's hysterical. And there's, I just was so naive, I didn't realize it looked crazy. But how much preparation did you, did you? I mean, really construct, like, a nice map of questions so that they were like, okay, he's legit. Like, yes. how did you legitimize yourself? Oh, I did write questions yeah. and, and research and try to be thoughtful. And that's why the interviews are okay, is I was a comedy nerd. Mm-hmm. And... I did an okay job. I'm doing a documentary about Gary Shandling for yes. HBO, and what's funny is th- how the documentary starts is an interview with him that I did when I was 16. Oh my wow! God. And then I went on to work with him, you know, most of my yes. uh, adult life. But it's funny that you know he he hosted the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. and we needed an interview of him discussing what it was like. And the only interview that existed was the one that I did. And my That's voice is insane. high. I'm like, so what's it like to host a Tonight Show? 
you know, it's kind of a big deal to get yeah. the chance to try that. They're like, is that Jewish Bert from Sesame Street? <laughs> uh, what uh, did? What was it like listening to those tapes for the first time? I'm sure people have asked so that a bunch, painful. but is it really? It's so like watching an old voice. set or something. Or? Yeah. Every once in a while, I try to be funny. Mm. Because I so wish they think I'm funny. Of so course. I rarely try, but when I do, it's a misfire. It's always so bad. There's You're one... like, Apatow from the outside. Miss. <laughs> Clang. Like I said to Leno, and Leno was you know, on Letterman a lot then. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, So, uh, you know, your career's going pretty good. But, uh, you know, how would you say uh, it's going? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you're selling out clubs. But you're not exactly selling out the Universal Amphitheater. <laughs> oh, my God. And Leno is so funny. He just goes, no, I'm not selling out the Universal Amphitheater. Dick. <laughs> Subtext, dick. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, now so, that, so that was, like you said, you that was the York first then, time right? you met, uh, uh, that was the first time you met Shandling. Yeah, over the phone. Yes. Yeah, and then when did you reconnect with them? Because that, because that was a, a special relationship yes. you had with Gary. I uh, was, I used to host a lot at the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, mm-hmm. which is a great, great club. Yeah, that, that's probably where I really learned how to do stand up. Oh, really? I used to host there all the time. And one night I was there with my manager Jimmy Miller, who's still my manager, and wow. Gary was coming in to perform, mm-hmm. and and Jimmy just goes. Hey, you're hosting the Grammys. You should let Apatow write some jokes for you. And Gary could not have seemed less interested. I mean, it was, it was just, there was just silence, you know, when yeah. this an idea is yeah, not yeah. picked up on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a few months later, I was in Dallas at the Improv in Dallas opening up for Kevin Rooney. Oh, my God. Whoa. And I get a call. Gary needs jokes. <laughs> so write him some jokes, fax them to him. And uh, and then uh, call him the next day, see how he likes him. I may have talked to Gary on the phone briefly before I did it. And I just did the shows. And then mm-hmm. starting at whatever, midnight, I stayed up all night and I wrote him like, whatever, 100 jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought, this is the moment. I have to be the guy that you desperately need. How right. do I be the guy that's indispensable right now? Yeah. yeah. And he he liked... I think he liked the setups, quite honestly. I think I wrote very clean setups, and then he wrote good punchlines. Like, I could explain a musical issue. Like, oh, this is what's happening with the band Kiss right now. Yeah, yeah. This is what's happening with this country band. Right. And then he asked me to go to New York to be, like, on stage with him. What? At the show. So if you can imagine, I'm just a young knucklehead and, and not a great stand-up. Uh, and he says, come to Radio City Music Hall. I'll put you up, Jeez. and we'll keep writing jokes, and then you'll be on stage with me at the show. And the show is crazy. It's, it's you know, Bono giving the Lifetime Achievement Award to Frank Sinatra. And what? Then Nicholson comes out and introduces Bob Dylan. This is all during the first Gulf War. It all happened in that period. Yeah, so okay. Judith yeah. Light introduces Elton John. It's just like everyone's like, "Who? Where are we?" Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was like ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, was that your first time at a huge venue too, and just being? Yes, like, this yeah. was, uh, and to be on the inside because I had worked at Comic Relief, but I was very far from the fun. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's still amazing. And because now you're on the stage, and for uh, and for our listeners that aren't familiar, a lot of times when there's an award show host, they have writers literally. 
on the side of the stage. So yes. when something happens at yes. the show, they run to the side and the, the writers pitch them four or five jokes right there. And and you know the show is, you know, it's Eric Clapton playing Tears in Heaven. Oh it's my. Tina Turner. So funny stuff. Peter Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like one of those. You know, when yeah. you look at who was on. Uh, it's a Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh my it's, God! It's, yeah, early Chili Peppers. Uh, there's a great yeah. picture that's in the documentary, which is I, I saw that Bruce Springsteen is there, mm-hmm. and I said to Gary, "We're taking a picture with Bruce Springsteen. You're the host. We're allowed to do that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good and I had a disposable camera. This is how lame and you know young I was. Like, I'm going to get my disposable <laughs> camera, and we are going to take a picture with Bruce Springsteen. And I have, the, I have, I still have the picture. Good for you. Oh, but uh, I, and Gary was always very shy about that. Sure. And so uh, at one point I said, "Hey, Gary, uh, this is the second time I I, I wrote it for him. It, it was during Larry Sanders. I said, "Hey, there's REM." You should ask him to be on the show. And he's like, no, I don't ask people directly. That's what bookers are for. It's too embarrassing. Like, Gary, you just hosted the Grammys and killed. Now's when you ask him. Yeah. So Michael Stipe is walking by and and Gary goes, hey, you know, if you ever want to be on the Larry Sanders show, we'd love to have you. And Michael Stipe just keeps walking. like doesn't even turn and acknowledge the question. (laughs) And then Gary goes, or I can go fuck myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Right now, did you he got to ask though? Did he remember you at all, or did he the remember interview? Th- yeah, did he remember the I interview? No, I mean I don't remember so much that he did, and I wouldn't bring things like that up. Mm-hmm. I, I if I did, I probably took a while before I said. I don't think I I was uh, bragging about that part of it. Yeah, what, was anyone ever an asshole to you in those interviews? And now you've come to know them later and you don't have to name names but name there was names. only one guy <laughs> yeah. who I won't name Raffi uh, <laughs> dude if those tapes one, are around please find them there was one guy like I, I'm doing an interview with him it's like at a restaurant or something I go downstairs to the bathroom and suddenly like, he's in the bathroom and he goes let me see your dick and I went what he goes let me see your dick I'm like what are you talking about He's like, I have a bet with another comedian that I could, I could, I could see your dick. Now I'm 16 years old. What? And so you, luckily, you met Harvey Weinstein at 16 <laughs> years nice, old. Brad. Topical. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and luckily, I, you know, because you never know how much of a people pleaser you are, right? As a kid, until you asked, you, to, until someone's yeah. like, "Let me see your dick." Yeah. And, I, and I was like, "No, what are you talking about?" Yeah, that's crazy. No. I mean, I had enough Long Island fuck you <laughs> in me. Uh, uh, and, nothing then, like a good Long Island fuck you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that, that was the only, and I. It might have been the first part of a program he was running. Yeah. It could have <laughs> yeah. led to some bad. It, it's some so bad weird things. that now you that now you get older and you look back and now you understand a little more about uh, psychology and how some of that kind of stuff works sure. when, we, when you're like oh shit like yes. that's what was happening and and yeah. and I, I i think there's a lot of things like that when you look back at, as an adult with yeah. uh so, with some interaction and not just sexual predators but yes. with just other things where you're where you're just like oh man that's what led me to here which led me yeah. to this which led sure and we never talked about that stuff like now with my kids we talked about that from birth like oh, really? be careful yeah. you can't trust people you can't put yourself in weird spaces you yeah. know you, you have to be so aware of it i only knew it from watching different strokes <laughs> and gordon <laughs> they jump had a very special episode and gordon jump was yes. moving in on gary coleman and honestly that is the only way i knew like 
run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but my parents never talked about it. We didn't it wasn't a thing in in the culture it, it, like it, people are trying to get you. Yeah. Yeah. Now now like I can't imagine being a parent now where and like you have to have the conversation with your kids like hey don't send a picture of your stuff to anyone. Oh sure, yeah, ever. that's a big good conversation. And then the the simplest, earliest version is every single thing that you do on your phone, you should assume other people are going to be able to see at some point. Yep, right. And it's, assume it's not private. Assume it exists somewhere that someone could get it. Yep. And so don't type anything that yep. you think is going to get you in trouble because kids will do crazy jokes and you know your kids say things you're yeah. like well that is a career ender yeah you literally will never enter the job market right. if, you, if you post this yeah joke. and now you can like screenshot like yes. like even when you're i think about that even texting with friends when it's like i i do a joke and then i literally have to go like oh wait yes don't because you're not in the business so don't like screenshot that and be like oh my friend brad yeah. is so funny like don't do that. And the hard part is those are the best jokes. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so you always want to shock your friends by saying yes. the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. yes. Chappelle just said last night at the comedy store, he goes, uh, uh, he said something, and he goes, I realize now that could be uh, perceived as kind of mean. He goes, but I just, he goes, I don't say it to be mean. He goes, I say it because it's the funniest thing to say. Yeah. And then he yeah. goes, sometimes the funniest thing is the meanest thing. And he goes, but it's all intent, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. I, I love going to see him at the cellar. I was, uh, I opened mm. up for him at Radio City Music Hall. Oh, On this know. last run? Yeah, I I bumped into him at, uh, at uh, this comedy cellar, and he was doing a couple of sets to get ready. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and I said, uh, "Who's open up for you tomorrow?" And he's like, oh, I, I, "He goes, you want to?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, yeah, of course." So so the lineup is like me and Chappelle and Lil Wayne. <laughs> Mary <laughs> Fuck Hill. Yeah. That's that unbelievable. Is not like the other one. I went to the first night of that run and it was yeah, it was Kendrick Lamar and uh and Neil uh and Dave. But it's like I mean, that's that's crazy. like people don't even know like how incredible that is to get that lineup there. It was so funny mm -hmm. to get to do it, to be around it. But what was more fun was to go to the comedy cellar a few nights before that and watch him do the warm up sets because yeah. when he's at Radio City He's so tight. Yeah. And it's refined. Watching yeah. him at the cellar do a variation of the set, but really loose and improvising and rambling and, and interacting with the crowd. Or, you know, it's a small crowd at the yeah. cellar uh, as he searches for other ideas is my favorite thing. As a comedy nerd, uh, getting to witness that. Yeah. I always think that's the only reason why I'm in comedy at all is yeah. to be at the comedy cellar at two in the morning watching Chappelle figure stuff out. Yeah. It's How? one of the amazing benefits of this business where I think we're all comedy fans and we find ourselves in those situations and even someone who's had as much success as you have had, you're you're still just like, oh, God, this is so cool. Yes. Do you I, find I, your fandom has dwindled over the years or are you still, like you just mentioned, like... It did for a long time because, you know, I did stand-up from the time I was 17 until I was 24. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I burnt out a bit from just obsession and then i really didn't follow it at all seriously till i started working with amy schumer when she was writing train wreck and when we did funny people i began to watch that put you back in the clubs bit. right i did some sets just kind of goofing around to write jokes for adam i, I just was trying to help create seth and adam's joke so we would go do sets yeah. and but was that your first like funny people was that your first time back in a comedy club setting that you were... Yes, where I really paid attention. Because you weren't going to shows throughout the years, I mean... I, mean, I, I could have gone 10, 
10, 12 years not walking into the improv. Wow. But mm. that's from being there five, six nights a week for right. yeah. seven years. And you were busy. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized how good everyone was. And I also just started to miss hanging out with everyone. I, I missed just the tribe of yeah. it. The hang the, the yeah. hang is one of the coolest parts about going out to the comedy club. Yeah. As, this, as a comic. I mean, for us to be at the store yeah. and hang with you is like fucking super cool. You know what yeah, I'm saying? So, so like fun. that's. And it's just like once you get into that community and that world, and like even last night for me to casually be like, oh, and then I did my set and then Chappelle went up yeah. to the belly room and I sat with 40 people and watched it. Like, that's crazy that you have the opportunity to do that. Sure. And that's, that is the, that is one of the main reasons that I was into it because I thought I got to be a good comedian just so people like me enough so I have access. Yeah. yeah. There's a part of me that's, that thinks, that's the only reason why I try to be good is to have the respect of other people. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that I could be a part of the world of it. I mean, there really is a fan core, which is, oh, I have to be great at it to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not I have to be great at it just to be great at it. It really is part of a, the whole organism of, of, oh, this is the life that I would want. And so that, that ne- for me, never really burns out. You know, you know someone special coming in or, or just seeing people experimenting i'm always you know just see mark maron yeah. you know come into a club and he's in the middle of figuring stuff out i almost you know, that's the only bad part of doing stand-up is you don't want to watch too much because then you realize every subject is being handled yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so it's so hard to write because you're so like oh i could talk about my kid oh wait no so-and-so talks about the kid yes okay i talk about uh, no so-and-so does that yeah that's a, yeah. that's the only drag or i would watch much more yeah yeah um and in you were you brought you brought your Netflix special, so I wanted yes. one once again to yeah. go watch that when, when it comes out. Now you're a guy that when you started getting back into stand up, you could have made a phone call and in a month had a special on some network or Netflix or whatever. Pax, yeah, was it, looking to get yes. into the comedy game. Sinclair, yeah. Yeah. Sinclair people, <laughs> sure. Some conservative comedy, <laughs> sure. Uh, what made you hold off? Because now you've been doing stand-up again for... Since uh, the summer of 2014. Yeah. I, well, I was at Just for Laughs, and I did one headline show Mm -hmm. uh, in 2016, that summer, and Netflix just happened to be there. Yep. Thank God I didn't know they were there, and I just did the long set, and they said, do you want to do a special? And I said, okay, but give me one more year. Because mm-hmm. if I know I'm doing a special, I could really prepare yep. well. And and that's what I did. And they've been great. You know, we do that TV show, Love, for Netflix. Yep, so great. And, uh, and, and that's been fun. We have a new season coming up in February. Oh, really? Or March. Uh, March, I think. And, and so I just, you know, then it fires under your ass. Like, oh, a lot of people have specials. How do you make yeah. a special? Special. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what, what sticks out? And, yeah. And how can it not be mediocre? So hopefully... And you, can you, can you mention, I mean, you were telling me uh, at the store one night, and I think at Bonnaroo, mm-hmm. I saw you doing what I think is somewhat what you incorporate in the special. Are you mm-hmm. leaving that to be a surprise? Kind of the incorporation of... Oh, showing photographs. Yeah. Yeah, I show photos, not a ton, but I tell some stories that are illustrated with photos. Yeah. And, and the set is built so you could see it. So I tell a long story about throwing out the first pitch of the Mets game. But there's crazy photos of it going badly that all these sports <laughs> photographers took. So that's, that's amazing. You know, it's it's just a, a, like three or four stories where you know I'll, I'll talk about meeting uh, Barack Obama 
but I happen to have photos where you see it happen that are hysterically <laughs> funny looking. So why not throw it in and just enhance the yeah, whole experience? Yeah, assisted yeah. visual. Yeah, and so some of that uh, is great. And you were there to see me perform with Eddie Vedder. That, uh, I wanted to say that, that, that might be, I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of cool shit. I don't know how anything gets cooler than that because yeah. also... I've never been in a room where I've uh, where it's so comedically driven, yeah. and there's just so like much raw emotion. And uh, but then also again, and you know, just the way you do it so brilliantly, um, you know, raw emotion, and then just just before it gets to like, I mean, I'm like fighting back tears, and then like some fun, it funny comes right in and kind of yeah. saves the day. And uh, it makes me not cry in front of uh, other grown men. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that was a special thing. Can you break that? Yeah, I mean, tell well, us how that even. In working on the documentary, I. For Shanley. About Shanley, I was yeah. reading uh, his journals. He kept journals. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I uh, saw Eddie Vedder at an event, and I asked him uh, if he would do something with me at the comedy tent at Bonnaroo because Pearl Jam was headlining. Yeah. And he said that he would, because uh, I, I interviewed them, you know, for their last record, yeah. and 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 have have known you know Stone Gossard for a long time, and and uh, and then I saw him at this uh, Who ben- the Who did a benefit for you know kids cancer, uh, and I said to Eddie Vedder, well, what what should we do? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, why don't I take some of Gary's journals and use them. And make lyrics to a song. And I'll write a wow. song with Gary's words in his journals. And his journals are very much about a lot of it is about Buddhism yeah. and reminders to himself to, about you know non attachment and and uh, and you know it, it has things in it that are like him trying to figure out how to deal with hecklers or him trying to figure out how to be himself on stage. A lot of it is reminding himself to let go and that if he lets go of all his nerves and all of his voices that that's when he'll be really funny when he trusts that it's there and it's really fascinating how yeah. he it's almost like zen in the art of archery with comedy yeah and so i sent him a bunch of lyrics that i thought might apply or i mean gary journal uh, uh, pages and he wrote this song and mm-hmm. sent me this song that he wrote what was your first like uh, and i i couldn't believe it it was beautiful it's a really beautiful yeah. song and then we get there, and and he's going to rehearse it, uh, just in a, in a little trailer, and then he goes, okay, so I'm going to do this part, and you do that part, then I'll do this part, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, it's a duet. Oh, and I said, oh, no, I don't sing. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 the rappers over there, get yeah, him, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. I go, no, I don't sing. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm not doing this alone. I was oh, like, geez. no. He goes, you do this and you do that, and then we sing this part together. Now, since I was a, 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 like in Kindergarten. There's nothing that scares me more than public singing. Oh, really? I just I I, I yeah. have I have a real fear of. About There's it. not a lot of karaoke nights <laughs> in the Apatow household. I think it's like, it's like low self esteem because I think when you sing, you're so purely yourself. Yeah. That if you have an issue with that, mm-hmm. uh, and as a kid, I always did. Like if someone said, "Now you sing this solo to this Kenny Loggins song," yeah. oh, I, I, I would be terrified. Not Loggins. <laughs> just something I've said so many times. Yeah. Uh, Whenever I call you a friend. <laughs> well, that and, and, and as a comic, there 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 might be a mindset of like as a comic if a joke goes bad you can adjust you can figure it out you can be like oh they want me to swear more they want me to do more crowd work whatever as a song it's like no that's your material yes and you have to commit right. and i don't know the song so we basically do it 
once and a half. Yeah. Like two times yeah. in the trailer. I'm so nervous. So then no. I have to do a set in this like thousand seat tent. Yeah. Yeah. But all I'm thinking is Eddie Vedder's about to jump on stage. <laughs> I actually had a great set because yeah, was I was awesome. so nervous about the song, I wasn't nervous about the set. No, you were just <laughs> putting it out there. You and, to thank him too much. And then he then he comes on stage. It's the biggest cheer I've ever experienced in my life. The the reaction from that crowd. Now the yeah. crowd is there basically to watch comedy to get into air conditioning before yes. watching Pearl Jam that night. Yeah. So yeah. the crowd is hardcore Pearl Jam fans taking a break watching comedy. So when he suddenly pops up there, yeah, it it's like, you know, it's And it's even though it's a huge tent, that's a much more intimate venue to see Eddie Vedder than yes. the acres of field which they're they're going to be playing that exactly. night. Exactly. It's yeah. it's like everyone in the crowd, it's their dream that Eddie Vedder is going to walk in the tent and yeah. do anything. Right. And uh and that blew my mind because you know we all hear applause when we go on stage or have a good set. It's two percent of what a rock star is getting. Oh, it's, it's so yeah. much yeah. less. And then, uh, you know, he didn't really know the song that well, and it's a difficult song because the the, oh, the, the phrasing is really very tricky. Too. Yeah, you know, the words don't quite fit the music, and it requires a lot of you know, vocal gymnastics to get it out. Mm-hmm. And then he crushes. Yeah. And it, make, it doesn't make you cry. Like he he captured the vibe of Gary's wow. struggle. Yeah, uh, you know, with his whole life in this song, uh, and and someone made a little documentary about it. I haven't released it yet. I might when the doc, when the documentary on Gary so. comes out, which is a beautiful recording of the moment. Like yeah. it's actually presented well. And then so he's getting everyone in tears and so much emotion and, la- and then he goes, and now your part, Judd. Oh yeah. And then, <laughs> and then my voice cracks. It's really funny. Like the one thing I had to like sing, I'm like <laughs> and the crowd laughs. In the middle of the song, the crowd laughs because I'm just so which far is, from hitting it up, but it's actually kind of sweet because I'm trying. Oh, no, it was great. It was like it couldn't. It would, couldn't have been more perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, <coughs> you you definitely have. There's like definitely an Apatow crew of actors and actresses and people in a rotation. Uh, how does one infiltrate that, and then why do you continuously kind of use the same people? Brad, why are you slipping Judge your resume? Listen, he's got he he's got to know he his digits. What he's got to know that in your DMs. he's got to know my my one scene in mascots was the yeah. greatest yeah. scene last yeah. year. It was. It was. Uh, I think that uh you know a lot of it stems from you know you have certain projects and then you just feel connected to somebody mm-hmm. on it. So, you know, with Seth Rogen, you know, I felt like a kindred spirit uh and then you know there's other people you just you realize that I'm not going to see them if we don't work together. Like yeah. Everyone works so much. Yeah. Right. That there are people you go, we have to make something so we can, Just so we can hang, hang out. out. I mean, when we did Funny People, one of the joys of it was that me and Adam Sandler had an excuse to talk a lot for a couple of years. So you used to live together. So you were, I mean, that was how many years when you guys were? We lived together like around, like around 90. 90, 91, that mm-hmm. area. And you were around each other so much. And then. And so just to have something to dig into yeah. uh, is fun. But it's none, none of it's very preconceived. It's just, oh, Kristen Wiig is so funny. Let's ask her to be knocked up. Oh my God, she's so funny. Let's let's put her in Walk Hard. Oh, I wonder yeah. if she has a movie. And, and it, it grows organically. And then people drift off and do the other things and you, you, you work with other people. You can't really, you know, contain it. 
Sure. It, you know, it, 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 the same it, cast it dr- every time. It drifts off, and people have their own uh, visions, and and uh, and that's sad too because you do you fall in love with the collaborators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so there's a natural you know, birth and death to those relationships. Yeah. Uh, that you know, hopefully they kind of reignite at other times, or or, or they don't. But uh, it, it's really fun when you know someone well. You know, like Jonah. You know, he's in Knocked Up, and then he's in. He's in Forty Old Virgin, then he's in Knocked yeah. Up, and then he's in Super, Super Bad, Bad, and yeah. then we're doing uh, Forgetting Marshall, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and get him to the, the Greek, Greek and, yeah. and you know you, you start really understanding their moves and their lives, and and you can get to deeper places when you know people well. Sure, that's why you know Scorsese likes De Niro. I mean, if he's if it's your buddy, you know things about them you can bring to a project that a, yeah. a director who's not friends with them doesn't know that they can do. Is, right. it, is or, it more of a, a risk than like like Craig Robinson? How uh, known was he before he was put in Knocked Up? I think he was on The Office and The Office had been on a, a yeah. year or so. He wasn't on a ton at that time, but I clearly thought that guy is uh, unbelievable. And then I think he became big on The Office as well. Mm-hmm. But he came in and improvised the doorman part in Knocked Up and I didn't I didn't know him uh, personally. So great. And instantly we thought, oh my God, I mean, this is as funny as anybody gets. <laughs> is, it, is that how it is in auditions for you? Like to, somebody just blows you out of the water with like the Occasionally. The mm-hmm. I mean, that was one where, you know, the part's very thin. But usually what I think is, okay, it's a doorman who's kind of a dick. It's it's almost a generic idea. Yeah. If you can get someone who has so much personality and just brings a life to it, yeah. it becomes a whole other thing. Yeah. He, he gave the bouncer a backstory. Yeah. Which, which is like you yes. never think about <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. His pain at denying people. <laughs> yeah. It's hard for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, 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 which was such a – because that's another person where you, you never – Think about what the bouncer went through that day, or yes. or or what's going on in his life. You're just like, here's the asshole that's preventing me from getting laid. Exactly, and I think that's how you could look at any character. Which is, if you go deep mm-hmm. and you really think through their life, even if someone has just a couple of lines, if you can understand them, then something else will come up. Yeah, that's much richer. Like Jane Lynch was the same thing. She came in for Forty Year Old Virgin. Mm-hmm. She had a take that I never would have thought of in a million years. Oh, really? And most of what's in the movie she improvised at the audition and we were like okay we have to just transcribe this oh my god how often does that happen very rarely there was a i uh worked for gene mccarthy uh when i first graduated from uh, sc out here and um you know would run a bunch of sessions and then like for sarah marshall uh uh when jack mcbrayer auditioned and i remember just watching being like hey just like okay that's how you do it that's how like if you're a pro Mm -hmm. and then also everything he was saying i mean he left and we were like it's, is that all probably going to... I think Nick uh, yes. was there and was just like, oh, we'll probably use a bunch of that. That was all just sure. so... Well, you always have that moment where you think, oh, we have to hire that person because we need to use everything they just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we can't like yeah. steal can't Jack O'Brien's yeah. improvs. Yeah. I guess he got the part. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that literally that's happened where someone is so funny that... You might even like another person as much, but you mm-hmm. go, I have to hire the person with the great improv because now... We know that has to be what is said. Yeah, and you know it works. Wow. Yeah. It's a it, it's something to where I mean because you're in, in on a lot of casting sessions, and I know that a lot of people 
uh, in the industry listen to this podcast, young actors, comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, My mom. What, his mom, uh, who's also trying to be Still in the trying industry. to act, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> She's what, in the vagina monologues 14 times, so yeah. <laughs> if you're looking to do a movie version, I would She's love you to consider it. back the Where's the Beef commercial. <laughs> <laughs> what is oh something God. that uh, you let, that impresses you in the room? How, how, how does someone audition for you and stand, and stand out? Well, it's interesting because my kids act mm-hmm. and my daughter... Uh, yeah, she's great in love. My oldest daughter auditions, and so we talk a lot about what do you do in auditions. It's actually yeah. a big part of our house. Is how do you uh, come across? How can you not be nervous? And the one thing I think people need to understand is you are you, whether you like it or not. So you're not tricking anybody. So it is like a Shandling thing. I think Gary wrote in a book, why be nervous? Because even when I'm nervous, I'm still Gary. Yeah. So when I, when I do anything, I'm Gary. So I might as well not be nervous because I've succeeded in being Gary even when I'm like nervous and falling apart. Yeah. That's yeah. still me. So I, I, it's a triumph anytime I do anything because mm-hmm. I'm. that's all I want them to know is who I am. So I think... If you walk in a room and and you realize that your main job is to find a way to get comfortable enough to just be yourself, that that's really what people are ultimately judging. You know, there's acting skill, but a lot of it's just vibe. And oh, this is you know, imagine it's Craig Robinson. Mm-hmm. Craig Robinson is just like that. What's the point of him being nervous and being a little more separated from his true personality due to nerves? He just wants to get across what Craig Robinson is. Yeah. And that's all about relaxing and trusting and liking yourself that I don't have to kiss your ass so much or be so nervous that you actually don't get a full sense of what I'm about. Separate from, you know, you have to learn how to act and you have to, I do believe like acting ultimately is relaxing. You know, if you're not scared shitless, you might be able to get across what you plan. Yeah, you have sure. to be prepared and all that. But if you've ever sat on the other side of the camera and watched people walk in one after the other, that is the one thing you always notice, which is, I, I see what your thing is anyway. So all the bullshit can go away because, you know, if uh, it doesn't matter who it is, if it's, yeah. like, if it's a comic or if it's Jennifer Lawrence, when they walk in and say hello, most of the audition has already happened in the first 15 seconds. Wow. wow. Like if Craig walks in and he's just like, hey, what's up? You're like, oh, I like that guy. You know, yeah. like you know, you yeah. know, and so yeah. you might as well relax because the thing that's going to get you it or not get you it has probably been determined almost before you read. Jeez. So, 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 so uh, like imagine Jonah Hill walking yeah. in the office and chatting before the audition starts. Yeah, you go, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, and, and then then you have to know how to act. You have to yeah. know your craft, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, you know, is that part of it now? There are difficult roles, and you have to know what you're doing. I mean, sure. One of the great auditions ever was Steve Carell for Anchorman, which you could find on yeah, YouTube. You were in the room for that. It's just so funny. He's so skilled, and he worked a long time to be able to do this. You know, brick Tamlin <laughs> eating garbage because he thinks the garbage can is still part of the buffet line. I mean, it's just so funny. Yeah. And and I don't think I've ever laughed as, as hard at almost anything. I've witnessed anywhere. Oh my God. And so, yes, you want to be that skilled that you can do that. But I think the, a big part of it 
is uh, is your your inherent personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've seen on the flip side then people coming in like overly prepared. Or, I know I've done it early on with a story or, like that maybe just happened or just mm-hmm. happened, you know, and, yes. or a joke, and then you, and you're you're shooting yourself in the foot by yeah. doing that. I think right. Well, you know. Like, you know, some people can get, you know, uh, yeah. very uncomfortable. <laughs> and yeah. when you're uncomfortable and needy, like if mm-hmm. you're ter- terrified or needy, mm-hmm. it's not helpful. Yeah. But it's a real skill to walk into rooms with strangers and enjoy talking to them. You know, Kevin Hart talks about this a lot in his book. <clears throat> Kevin Hart's book is really great. Awesome. Uh, you know, he put a lot of work into trying to tell people how he did it. Because mm-hmm. he's such a workaholic, yeah, yeah, and he thinks it through. And a lot of uh, of his book about auditioning was that he thought, you know, what I'm probably not going to get this part, but I'm going to do something interesting every time. I'm going to make them laugh. I'm going to go for it because they might hire me for something else. And he mm-hmm. really put put thought into how do I come across? How can they know I'm special in some way? But that that's why stand up helps because you're just used to yeah. uh, having to. Be yourself in weird situations. Yeah, and in front of uh, not a lot of people, especially yeah. starting out. You're sure. like, yeah, yeah, I've walked in front of 10 strangers before. Exactly. And yeah. made them laugh with nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of it is again. being in the moment. You know, if yeah. it's weird, like if the moment's weird, calling it out. You know, you know, very few people walk in a room and say there's like 11 people behind a desk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you walk in the room and like, wow, this is weird. You guys are all behind that desk. <laughs> Yeah. People like that, you know. Yeah. They like that you're that this, it is. you're calling out the reality yes. of it. Yes, and 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 also when you see someone in an audition, I'm sure what's going through your head is, yes, are they good and are they talented and are they qualified? But you've got to work with this person sure. for three, four months. Yeah, like, do I want to be around them? Like I just yeah. taped one of those uh, online courses, master class. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I guess will come out next next year. But one of the advice that we, you know that. I think is an important piece of advice is so much of show business is, is being the kind of person people want to be around. Like if you're a dick, it's over. Or if you're just, you know, like in a comedy punch up room, there are people who pitch a lot of jokes Mm -hmm. and there are people who just criticize jokes and don't pitch fixes. And they're just kind of annoying negative people. And we always call them room killers. Mm-hmm. Or just a weird person that's not productive, and right. yeah. and you go, oh god, I've got to get rid of that guy. Yeah, how, how do we get rid of that guy? That guy's slowing the whole room down. Like, <laughs> yeah, that guy's yeah. shutting down eleven people. He's such an annoying person, <laughs> oh. and and that's a big part of show business. Is oh, I like that person. That person's productive. They're overproducing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in, in talking to you in this last hour, you've brought up uh, the documentary. You brought up your Netflix special. You've brought up a side documentary. Yeah. You, you, you brought up this Crashing on HBO. Yeah, yes. Crashing on HBO. The Avid Brothers documentary is on January on how, HBO. How, really? How do you keep all of this stuff straight in your head? Like, is well, it you'll just... watch it and see if I have. <laughs> you'll, you'll see. You may decide I have not kept it straight and it's all low quality. Do you do you just have this mentality of like, I can do it all? Or have you got re- gotten really good at, at um, priorita- prioritizing, organizing, just like scheduling, obviously, right? Like there's certain things you probably can't do because you're shooting the show. Or do you just, when you're producing something, you go, okay, cool. I'm going to be involved this much at the get-go. And then because I want to do this, I'll maybe uh, check out a couple weeks in to work on that and then check back in. Is it? A lot of it is uh, building. <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of it is you, you, you'll remove all these coughs, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna string one one long uh, whole excerpt of yeah. Uh, um, but uh, you someone auto tune that, please. Yeah. Right. 
you're you're creating a team. So if you're, you know we're doing crashing with Pete Holmes, you know Pete's a great writer, and then you're figuring out okay, how much can he write, uh, and, and then who else. Who else is writing? How early in do you and Pete sit down and you ask, like, how much do you want to be involved with writing all the episodes? Yeah. The, the, the earliest possible stage, I'm yeah. paying attention. Like, well, how good a writer is Pete? Pete happens to be an amazing writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I I did something which I haven't done on other shows, which is I said, Pete, I think you should co-write every episode. So you're in the writing deeply on every episode. Wow. Uh, where Lena wrote a lot of episodes, but also wrote a lot of episodes alone. Lena Dunham girls. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she, uh, you know, co-wrote some, but wrote a lot alone because we also knew, like, on a weekend, Lena might just, like, crack one out out of the blue. Oh, really? And we mm-hmm. wanted to encourage that. And, you know, with Pete, I said, you know, you could write, you know, you could write four of them where you're kind of leading the the writing and four where you have a co-writer and they're leading the writing and, and you're, you know, getting deeply involved. And I think, you know, that you can handle that. And, uh, and then this year, you know, Pete's like, you know, maybe I'll write a few less because the staff's getting stronger and I don't Figuring need to write on and, all eight. Maybe I'll yeah. write on five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what you're tuning into is, you know, how does your staff work? So, uh, you know, on Love, uh, one of our producers who used to be one of my assistants, Michael Lewin, we realized he's amazing at editing. Hmm. And so he's been gets more and more deeply involved in sitting in the edits, and then I can sit in the edits less and just you know be used when I'm needed. Uh, and that's really what it is. It's like who does what well? Where where do I help? Because no one else can do the thing I do. Yeah. And uh, you know my intention is to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so if on everything I do, my intention is to do nothing. Yeah. Then I just go to the place that isn't isn't working right. So it might be, oh, I'm helpful breaking the stories, but mm-hmm. I don't need to be involved in the first drafts of the scripts, but I need to then be involved in fixing the scripts yeah. or whatever. It might be the opposite of that. Oh yeah. my God, they're breaking great stories. I'll write more. I mean, it, it, and on every project it's different. It takes a minute too to figure out how much you want to be involved. Yeah. Like, and how much to pull back on your own self. Cause there might be opportunities when you're like, Oh, I would love to, Write more of that, but maybe or I just it's going to be more time. beneficial. Yeah. You know, even the big sick, Michael Showalter directed. So, yeah. you know, he, he really knows what he's doing. I don't need to babysit him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I spent, uh, you know, you know, some time on the set, but I, I, I wasn't there most of yeah. the time. How much of how Bridesmaids were? Uh, you know, bridesmaids. You know, I've got Paul Feig there. I've worked, you know, with Paul for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm on the set, you know you know, a quarter of the time or a third of the time and mainly on just scenes that I think, you know, on that day I might catch something. Mm-hmm. But I know that between Paul and Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo and Paul Appel, the great writer, was on set, I, I don't need to be there. And if they have a question, they call. Uh, and then on other movies, you know, I'll just go, I think I need to be in this one a lot for whatever reason. Yeah. Sometimes it's my sense of humor. I'm like, you know what, I kind of get this more than other people. So I'm going to hang around this one a lot. Paul, Paul would, to, oh, go ahead. Is, is it hard to wear the different hats? It's hard to be like, okay, I'm a producer. So when you see a director doing something, it's like, ooh, I would have done it this way. But it's really sometimes a pain in the ass to everyone if I am around because I would do it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that is not necessarily the right way. Yeah, it's just your way. So if I've talked about, uh, you know, like, you know, for instance, uh, in Bridesmaids, I'm just trying to think like uh, – like one of the great sequences, 
Unless McCarthy dresses shitting like a, in a sink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like the big bridal scenes. Yeah. You know, we talked about it a lot, like how it would work. But I, I, I didn't ride it that much because I could tell Paul had this, a hilarious vision of how it would all work. Mm-hmm. And then you don't want me going, I think the camera would be a little closer up on this <laughs> shot. Like, like You could really throw people off You direct game. as Kermit the Frog. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's quite a You'll never play the amphitheater. That is, that's a difficult thing because sometimes you're wrong. Like, oh, wow, that scene did not come out well and I didn't choose to be there that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, someone said to me once, like, you got to let the director direct it. Like that's yeah. that's their job, and you support them, and you tr- pay attention to to where it might go wrong. Sometimes I show up on like emotional days, like oh, I'm kind of good w- with the scene, yeah, where it has to be emotional and funny simultaneously, and that's a little tricky to do. And I might make a point of like on my calendar, go be there for the day that they make up after the big fight, mm-hmm. and and. And sometimes I show up and, and, oh, they got it. They don't need any help. And other days I'm, I'm deeply helping and rewriting and figuring it out. I've seen on DVD extras you chime in. Are you good for like 10 more minutes? Sure. Yeah. I've seen on DVD extras you uh, chiming in um, from the back during a scene, like I think maybe Pineapple Express or whatnot, of uh, just throwing out you know additional alt lines and whatnot. Yeah. And um, you know now getting a chance to work with uh, Paul uh, Hamful, seeing how he does that a lot too, and um, which is kind of just so brilliant to me because it's like when you're just so locked in the scene and just throwing out these and giving not only just like um, – say this but then it seems like from the people you've picked like are good at taking that and making it even into something yeah. more my question is will you do that for an emotional scene or is that just absolutely yeah, yeah I think it's the same thing I mean it's a weird way to do it that I think I learned from Stiller when we were doing the sketch show the Ben Stiller show yeah Ben would just try to get a lot of material so if he had a you know uh, if he w- he used to do this character Michael Foray, which was like Ferret, who was an agent. And he would represent someone, and the, and the scene would just be him giving advice that was terrible mm. to a star. So it, we did one with Run DMC. And nice. We did one with Howie Mandel, and one with Roseanne and Tom. And uh, like the, in one, he was mad at Roseanne and Tom for losing weight. And he was just like, you know what? You got to gain it back. You got to gain it back. Fat is funny. Fat is funny. You know, you got to go get a cheeseburger. And, uh, and But what he would do is he would just do so much extra material yeah and then sometimes when the person he was doing it with would leave he would go do it again without them there wow because there were certain jokes he was afraid to say to their faces (laughs) (laughs) and that was roseanne comes back like why did you call me a fat pig like well and that was what and then you know and he would want me to yell out any other joke ideas to Mm -hmm. him and I realized, oh, so you can get so much stuff, and so you could do that in a comedy. I mean, the key is you want to let, you want to direct direct the scene and do the scene a bunch of times normally. Yeah, you don't want to be yelling crap at people when they're trying to act. Right. But at the end, when you feel like you have the scene, you could say, okay, let's get these twenty lines, or let's improvise here to get extra stuff. And then usually someone says something you never could think of in a million years, because they're allowed to take a chance. Mm-hmm. So even in Knocked Up, we always said, what would Seth say when she says, I'm pregnant? Like, what would his response be? Yeah. And we, sh- we had some funny jokes, which is, you know, she goes, I'm pregnant. And he says, with emotion? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And that was in the movie, but his but the reaction before that, which oh, was just shit. a Seth yeah. improv, 
was she says, uh, I'm pregnant. And he goes, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, what? He goes, what? Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and only because we're creating extra space for people to play and, and get real and, uh, and also allow their comedy and comedy writing to, to come to the surface. That's when something very special mm-hmm. happens. And sometimes it doesn't. You're just doing the script. But, but in every situation, you do want to take a moment to go, well, you know, what, what would Chris and Wig say? If we, you know, took the handcuffs off and just, you know, what else do you want to say? Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you would do here? Because a lot of it is getting a lot of bullets to, for your gun in editing. You just want to feel like if a joke doesn't work, you can turn to the editor and go, we had, what else we got? Yeah. And, yeah. and you want him to go like, I got eight other jokes. Because awesome. sometimes your joke sucks and you go, what else we got? And they go, nothing. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you're such a... Uh, brilliant writer and i know you like to so i mean is it do you ever when you're writing something go all right this is so good i don't even want to give room to improv or like and so when you get on sure so, yeah there are times where this can you over improv you can uh you can lose sight of what yeah. your intention is yeah, yeah improv only works if you know i gotta get from a to b and here are the emo here's the emotional path of it yeah and uh you know for instance if seth and Catherine heigl are fighting at the gynecologist and they're just screaming at each other. We know how it needs to build and what the exit is, mm-hmm. but the actual insults and things can be a little different. There's a little play yeah. and somewhere you get to, you know, go fuck your bong <laughs> and you might discover that in the moment. Cause you're, everyone's like getting in the spirit. Like, well, what would that fight be? Yeah. How mean would you get? What would she make fun of him about? You know, she knows he's a pothead. She's never made fun of it. Yeah. And now suddenly she's just like, go fuck your bong. And you realize in the back of her mind has been, you're a dirty pothead and you're the father of my child. And I'm so upset about it. Yeah. And that a lot of times comes out in improvs. Like the truth comes out. If 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 everything's in everyone's unconscious, when you just say, "Okay, just go," let's see what comes out of your head. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what comes out of your head might be what comes out of my head or Seth's head or whoever's trying to pitch extra jokes. Sometimes we have extra writers hanging around pitching mm-hmm. jokes. Has anybody ever pitched something on a set like even like a like it's such a loose collaborative set like mm-hmm. a craft service guy? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, for real? You're oh, open to that. Yeah. Our first AD, uh, Matt Rebenkoff, we were doing Trainwreck, and. We had a, a a joke where, you know, Amy is about to have sex with the intern, yeah, mm-hmm. and they're talking about safe words, and 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 I think he says, uh, uh, "My safe word is pineapple," and she's like, "Okay," and like, not sure why there is a safe word. Like, you know, so you're you're, set, you're setting up like, oh, this guy's a little weirder yeah. than we thought. But then when she punches him in the face, he starts crying and screaming pineapple yeah. mm-hmm. over and over again. Uh, and that Matt Rebenkoff is like, shouldn't he say the safe word at the end? And we, it wasn't in the scripts. And oh, we're like, shit. oh, that's the perfect joke. Yeah. So we're always open for that. That's and, awesome. And that's good that you are willing to take those jokes from sure. the first AD and not just be like, we have writers for a reason, asshole. You know, There's like, a lot of people that do not want anyone else to think of anything. Mm-hmm. I've met all sorts of people. They hate when other people are involved in the process. They just want to own every word, like, everything was me. Yeah. yeah. And and that, I think, is uh, not the best way to do comedy, at least. Yeah. Um, it might work for Arthur Miller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what if people are trying to get into uh, films or TV from a behind the camera uh, perspective? What are common mistakes that people make? 
to to for technical people and or like if if, if someone wants to be a director. Yeah. Well, like, the interesting thing now is, you know, you can you can do anything with your phone. So if mm-hmm. you wanted to prove you could direct, you you could make a movie for free on your phone. There's no excuse not to do it because yeah. it doesn't cost anything anymore. It used to be, what are you going to buy Super 8 film? And, yeah. And say you made a film. How are you going to sh- bring your projectors to some movie executive's office? Right. Now, like, like if you suddenly just made something hysterical and put it on foot of your die and say it happened to be better than everyone else's thing, it would get seen. Yeah. yeah. Someone would, like, like, if something is truly great, uh, it's obvious because most stuff, no matter how much stuff is up on the on the web, it's all shit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, think about the last time you saw a little five minute short where, that blew your mind. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I remember seeing Bottle Rocket. Yeah, yeah. And it was a black and white short that Wes Anderson made, and you knew right away, oh, this is one of the Special. greats of yeah. all time. And that opportunity is there for anybody who isn't lazy and wants to just pull their phone out and. Create something. Yeah, it's like you want to tell people. It's like no, no, no one's gonna knock on your door. You open, they go, "Hey, we're Hollywood. Here's a yes. bag of bunny. You're now a producer, or yes. you're now a director, yes, exactly, or, or whatever. That's yes. not gonna happen. I think no, you have to make something. I yeah. think Two Girls One Cup was the last thing I saw that really blew my mind. Yeah, I still <laughs> haven't gotten around yeah. to like, and you don't need to seeing it. That was not me I, setting I, up like, and here's the clip, Jeb. <laughs> well, I mean, I, so don't show it to <laughs> no, him. No, I have it queued no, up. No, don't. It's too early. I, I okay. love that Amy Schumer sketch. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was on the pilot <laughs> yeah. episode of just the audition. Yeah. So it's brilliant. Funny. <laughs> as funny as it gets. Yeah, yeah. really, as funny as it yeah. gets. Yeah. And then, is there anything that you've yet to do where you're like okay eventually i'm gonna get to this project or this thing um i'd like to write a play or a musical i'd like to do something for the theater at some point i took a year and didn't do anything but tried to figure it out and failed couldn't (laughs) didn't write one word in a year wow Uh, so why'd you do that just to live and i just was i had some ideas and i don't know i just locked up and didn't write one Word. I I tried to outline a little bit, did some research, but I do think that it would be really fun to try to put something up, punch it up every day, see mm-hmm. it again, punch it up some Fuck more. Yeah. Uh, but I I haven't I haven't really cracked it. But that's that, that's maybe one of the m- main dreams that uh, that uh, I'd like to try in the next ten years. Okay, that's what I heard. Um, uh, well, the uh, great Jim Henson, like when I heard some interview with his son Brian talking mm-hmm. about what he his plans were, because he was like a god to me, and I'm just like God. I can only imagine now, like what he did in the you know 70s, 80s, and 90s, but like now with like just the technologies we have. Sure. And he was talking about all these grand things he had for these like you know 3D interactive like plays with like yeah. the sets being yes. all muppified and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean that would have been like just bonkers. Exactly. Um. Uh. Didn't you? We have a story in your act about him, but is right about meeting. Well, Adam Sandler and I, when we were kids, auditioned to host uh, this reality show. <laughs> you know, right when camcorders became inexpensive and America's Funniest Videos yeah. went on the air, everyone was like, "What can we do with camcorders? It's cheap." Mm-hmm. And there, it was some you know drive across the country, you know, reality-driven show before people had figured out how to do that. I did another pilot with Colin Quinn that was like that like comedians traveling across the country and yeah. it's reality but kind of scripted you know that half fake thing that i guess all the shows are yeah mm-hmm. uh, we were trying to crack and so anyway adam and i auditioned and i didn't get it and either did adam 
I think Dana Gould is the one who got it. Oh wow! But uh, but what I didn't get fired, it, Gould exactly. <laughs> I'm still mad about it. <laughs> but but Jim Henson's people called and they wanted to buy all the ideas I pitched for it. Wow. Amazing. Which I thought, well, that's kind of cool that he thinks I'm a good writer. Yeah. yeah. And then and, and then, didn't just do them. Yeah. And then they said, but uh, we don't want him on the show because we think he lacks warmth. <laughs> and I say on stage, I say, that's yeah. like Mr. Rogers telling you you don't deserve love. <laughs> yeah, the creator of Sesame Street. Yes. Yeah. It hurts. Um, man, yeah. this was uh, unbelievable. So yeah. Thank you for making time. Thank you. And, um, uh, good to be here. Thank you for uh, getting us up at uh, 6.30 in the morning and yes. having it be worth it. <laughs> yeah, can I be honest? It's like I know you've adjusted to this time frame, but it's like once I am up, like I'm up. But it's like again, I'm such a night owl, and it's brutal. And the rest of your day is going to be terrible. <laughs> and that's positive reinforcement <laughs> from John Appetit. You're going to be so tired. You're going to have a, an audition. You'll do I got to go shoot on. it right after this. Oh yeah. no, yeah. you're shooting today. Arrested. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I went went and visited the other day. Did you love that show? Oh, I, yeah. I was saying hi to Jeffrey Tambor and oh no, oh, Michael yeah. Sarah and, and that's got to be so great. Where you just think like, oh, I'm just going to stop by the set of whatever. Well, I was mixing the sound to my stand-up special. Yeah, and uh, and someone said, oh, Arrested is right there, and it was fun that's to just so go cool. watch them work and yeah. So we're Sarah. No, but no one's funnier than Michael Sarah. I agree. Right? Have you seen Lemon, the Brett Gelman movie? No. no. Uh, I love Brett Gelman, though. Uh, uh, it, unbelievable! Really, so Michael Sarah in Lemon. It might be the funniest thing I've ever seen. In my Funnier life. than him in Superbad. Uh, very close. I mean, it's holy it, shit. It, it, he, he's doing this <laughs> this douchey actor. It's so funny. He's playing one. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for uh, in the special one more time. Dis- December twelfth on Netflix, and then Love comes back. Uh, it's sometime in the spring, and crashing comes back in January. And Fuck. So, 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 just keep your TV on, and eventually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a Judd Apatow project <laughs> yeah. will come across yeah. it, whether it be on a rerun yes. of a movie or a new show or his Pride. Yeah, I yeah. mean, don't joke about that. Is it? Yeah, that's. I mean, uh, Celtic, Pride, Celtic Pride sequel in the works. Got it. If they can okay. talk about a Space Jam sequel, they can talk about a Celtic Pride Why sequel. <laughs> Kidnapping LeBron, or just go a different kidnap uh, like Dirk or Sasha Vujicic, like somebody nobody expects to get kidnapped. <laughs> I think someone already kidnapped Sasha Vujicic. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen him in a yeah, while. He looks very kidnappable. <laughs> All right, right, thanks, Chad. Thanks, Chad. subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, 
Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice.